My name is Kenan Vaughn, and I'm um, grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, we'll be uh, preaching God's Word here momentarily in John 11. That's where we'll pick up where we left off in our series in John last spring. I'm sure you remember precisely the context, so I won't need to give you any. I'm just teasing. Um, quick words um, about just the importance of this day in, in a couple ways. We, we mentioned the sanctity of life day, and yes, we want to recognize that and pause and be still in that because we do believe in the sanctity of life. We believe and affirm that life begins at conception and uh, as designed by God, and we affirm that. We want to boldly proclaim that in a society where that is often questioned or um, thought lesser of. And at the same time, uh, as the church of Jesus Christ, and especially a church this size, just uh, had it heavy on my heart thinking there's probably a lot of folks in here that have either, or at least a number of folks, either had an abortion or know somebody in your family or a good friend that has. And I just also want to remind all of us that um, if that's you, uh, you're still loved by God, and we still love you, and uh, you need to know and remember this morning, even on the Sanctity of Life Day, I don't think there's any such thing as an abortion that happens without trauma, and the gospel is healing. It brings healing, and it brings hope uh, into a traumatic situation, and so if you're not clinging to Christ and the gospel in the midst or in the aftermath of such an experience, we want you to know that um, the gospel is available and can uh, through its transforming power, heal and bring hope into your life and the greatest chasms of emptiness and darkness and doubt that you may be experiencing. So we cling together to the gospel, even as we acknowledge and affirm the sanctity of life and life at conception, okay? Uh, and also, um, it's Martin Luther King weekend, and on, on another just kind of massive uh, note, and tomorrow's uh, Martin Luther King Day, and we're going to honor, uh, we're going to take a whole day of, um, and, and shut everything down to remember the life and mission and message of a man, Martin Luther King Jr., who, um, whose message was one of peacefully protesting discrimination, racial discrimination primarily, peacefully pursuing justice where there was injustice. And uh, boy, those chords ring uh, clearly from a gospel tone, you know, that, uh, that Martin Luther King's, if you read his speeches, and every week uh, preceding this weekend, I like to just read uh, some of his uh, speeches, they, they all read like sermons. They all read like a man who's hoping in what we're meant to hope in, a day when um, the justice of the Lord uh, will reign on earth and will rid us of our uh, discrimination and prejudices and bigotry and all the pride and confidence we put in our own flesh, which is silly and sinful and evil. And a day where, as Paul preaches to the Galatians, uh, we would consider one another one in Christ because male, female, Jew, Gentile, which was a big problem in that day, um, slave and free man would be one in the body of Christ, he who is the head. Do you guys know that, that, that that's meant to be demonstrated here? I mean, in the church we're, we're meant to be the demonstration of what Jesus uh, said would ultimately be displayed when, every, when there's a remnant from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation gathered around the throne singing his praise in heaven. There will be no boast but Christ crucified and risen from the grave. And so what Martin Luther King did 55 years ago in our day and specifically in our area was remind us of what we're meant to be an example of. 
We, I, I, and and I, know we're, I know his life wasn't perfect. Our lives are far from perfect. Our church is far from perfect in this area. But we want to model the power of the gospel to our community. I'm so sad that Martin Luther King was shot here. It's a black eye for Memphis. It's a black eye for our nation. That a man whose message is justice in the face of racial bigotry and discrimination would be shot for that is sad. I grieve that. But I'm glad that's not the last chapter in the history of our city, that there's a chapter that the government can't legislate, thankful for the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but the church is meant to bring forth the fruit of the kingdom of God. We're meant to demonstrate what Martin Luther King had a dream of, and ultimately Jesus said he came to bring about, a place where we lay down every other thing that we might ever boast in. We lay down all of our differences. They're swallowed up in unity by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our diversity brings uh, greater clarity to the power of the gospel where we're unified in Christ. So let's just be reminded this weekend that we're striving for. We're not just kind of remembering Martin Luther King and going, man, I'm thankful for that. We're striving to give a greater picture, to sound forth a greater speech in the way we pursue justice, diversity, and in the way we protest injustice and discrimination. That is our call. That's the message of not just our brother and friend, Martin Luther King. That's our Lord Jesus. Amen? Okay, so important weekend on these uh, issues of critical importance. Let's just take a moment and pray over this. Father, thank you that we, um, we, just, we got to pause today. Lord, we're about to hear from your word, which is what we've got to do uh, every day of our lives. And on this Sabbath day, we're going to be still and let your word just kind of wash our minds and hearts and let us think rightly and think truthfully about sin, suffering, death, um, everything that's a result of the fall. And Lord, we're going to remember the intention of uh, life as you created it. And we're going to remember that uh, life is at your uh, bidding, that you're the author of life, that you bring it forth at conception. You form us in our mother's wombs, wombs and we come forth grateful to be uh, living creatures Uh, who can know you and enjoy you, that you create us uh, in your wisdom with an emptiness, that we won't uh, be satisfied until we're satisfied in relationship with you, the living God of the universe. We thank you that you've loved us, that you've made a way back to you through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, we long for those who don't know you to know you. We long for the truth of of life, uh, sanctity of human life, life of conception, to be uh, known and uh, valued and understood as true as it is according to your word, which is true. We long for those who have wounds uh, because of uh, experience with abortion to be healed of those by the transforming power of the gospel and God who loves unconditionally all of us. That's what Romans uh, 5 proclaims, that in, while we are yet sinners, you have loved us in Christ. That's all of us. And Lord, we also remember that we're a people since Genesis 11 forward who can quickly be foolish, who can quickly have a pride in the color of our skin that would be hateful uh, towards others who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, let us not be upside down on that. Let us um, uh, treasure uh, uh, diversity when it comes to race because the greater that diversity, the greater picture of the power of the gospel that is being demonstrated among us and will ultimately be demonstrated when they're gathered around your throne. Let us pursue that with great hope in what is to come. We will boast from this day till that in nothing but Christ. 
Let us be a people who demonstrate your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, the healing power, and the unifying power of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning uh, our text is John 11. It's lengthy. Um, I thought several times about breaking this up in several messages, uh, but I didn't. And so the reason I didn't is because it is one story and kind of the kicker's at the end. So I had a hard time cutting it off anywhere without looking ahead. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'm going to read and uh, preach uh, this morning John 11, 1 through 44. Okay. All right. The story about the death of Lazarus. This is an incredible story and relevant to anyone who's ever been concerned with death. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the feet of the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus is ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said this to the, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again? And he said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and calling for you. Then when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God and the people of God said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that on the Sanctity of Life Sunday, on Martin Luther King weekend, we have a text that deals with suffering. We have a text that deals with pain. We have a text that deals with sickness, illness, that leads to death and yet doesn't ultimately lead to death. And Lord, we relate to this text, we relate to the fears that it has in it, we relate to the questions, the confusions, the anxieties of life. Lord, we're a people that are steeped in sin and lack of understanding and a desire to control. And Lord, I pray that your word would pierce us this morning and not return back void. We would loosen our grip uh, on needing to have control in our lives and strengthen our grip on you, that we would trust in you with that which we can't control or understand. Give us a hope that is a gospel hope this morning that pervades our thinking and steers our lives in greater affection and pursuit of you, Lord Jesus. Uh, speak to us now. I must decrease, you must increase. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so John 11, we picked up the story. Jesus has been talking about He's the good shepherd who knows his people, calls them by name. They come to him. He and the Father are one. The Jews have been prepared to stone him. Um, they are uh, understanding now that he is claiming to be the Messiah, the anointed one. This text <clears throat> in chapter 11 is preceding 12, obviously, which is uh, the beginning of Passion Week. So we're in the winter months coming into the spring which will be the week where Jesus, of course, will come in. This is his third year of ministry, public ministry, and he will be sacrificed as the final Passover lamb. So that's kind of where we are in the life and ministry of Jesus, near the end, the fullness of a three-year ministry. And this chapter is going to be um, an incredibly strategic and important event uh, in the life of Christ because it involves his best friend dying um, in the life of the gospel and, and the hope of believers to come because we're going to get a picture with flesh on it of what it looks like to trust in Jesus, what it means for us in life, what it means for us in death. This text is going to preach the gospel. Uh, it's going to give us hope in the midst of circumstance. It's going to remind us that even when we don't understand what's happening, God is, in, and we're suffering with difficult circumstances, that God will use it. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he's not pleased with the results of sin. He's not he takes no joy in our pain, our sickness, our suffering, and our death, but he does purpose it for, his good, for our good and his glory. So massive chapter, massive implications, particularly relevant if you're one who thinks that one day you may face death, okay? Uh, and apart from Christ's return, which could happen any moment, um, which would be awesome and exciting, we pray with the apostle John, Lord, come quickly, but should he tarry? We'll all die. The death rate is, is, is still hovering right around 100%. And for most all of us, it's something that gives us at least some concern. We kind of think about that. It's just unknowable, you know? It's not like any other human experience. We can't do it and learn from it, you know, and pass it on. Let me tell you what happened for me. <laughs> That's not really how it works. In fact, the only one who can do that is the one who rose from the grave, is Jesus. And so through his life and death, 
we get a glimpse of what it means to go into the darkness and he went there and came back and he tells us of death, he tells us of heaven and he tells us how to get there and we cling to his experience as the only tangible experience of death that we can possibly hold to and know. Other than that, it's unknowable. So of course it's scary and it's inevitable. I don't care what kind of diet you're on, all right, or what kind of workout regimen you're adhering to, it's not gonna, you're not gonna escape death through uh, your attention to detail when it comes to physical health. You're not gonna do it, and I'm not either. So it's inevitable, apart from the Lord's return, we'll, we'll die, okay? So take that in for a moment, and, and uh, that's a scary thing. You know, I'm not a Navy SEAL, contrary to popular belief, but um, one reason I'm not is I heard uh, about part of the training, and I heard that you gotta do something. I, just, I can't even believe these guys do this. I would never do this. But as uh, part of the, one of the last things you gotta do is, a, is in your training to be a Navy SEAL, we may have some in here that could attest to this, you've got to get in a pool and you gotta go under and you gotta drown yourself. And you have to actually die. It's nuts. And you got, a, you got a friend with you, you got a seal with you, at least you hope he's a friend. And, um, and when you die, this guy's gotta bring you out, you know, drag your body over to safety and he's gotta breathe life back into you. He's gotta bring you back. So part of your training is you have to be able to trust the other seal to bring you back even if the mission involves you giving your life. <laughs> Not, no thanks, all right. Um, thankful for those who do. But that's an incredible amount of trust. And I want to tell you, for the believer, that's what death is. That we have one who is greater than a seal, who has authority over sin, death, and the grave. And has conquered it. We have one who's been there and come back, and we will one day die. And the last thing we do before we close our eyes is look at him and say, you got me? And we go under. And we have to trust in one. We gotta trust in someone or something, and there's only one who can, to bring us back out of the darkness, to revive us and arouse us and quicken life back in us. And we have to fully trust in him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he, the one, the only one who can do it, there's only one whose name is the resurrection and the life. And he's going to call himself out in this chapter, and he's going to demonstrate it. Even before he goes to the cross, he's going to demonstrate that he has that authority. He can do it. And then he'll demonstrate it in his own conquering. Then he'll go through and he'll conquer sin, death, and the grave so that we don't have to ever fall prey to the myth that death will have its final blow, and that will be the end of our story. Not if we're in Christ. Not if we're in the one who is the resurrection. He rose as the first fruits of the grave, and those who believe in him will rise as he once rose. Amen? Let's pray and go home. No. That's the text. That's what we're going to get. All right, let's get a little detail, though. Now, a certain man was ill. That's a bummer. This text took on new meaning for me this week. My wife has been ill since Thursday. Something fierce, all right? Y'all pray for Catherine. And when, when mama goes down, golly, we're like the Titanic on steroids. We just tank. Um, my boys, I guess they take after me. They, 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 uh, they're impatient and don't understand and don't do well to suffer or make it through any kind of adversity. We are not good. 
If you were to appear in our house, I don't know whether you'd see the three amigos or the three stooges, but you would not see any kind of a well-oiled machine. I put dinner before them last night. It's a long day uh, without Catherine of just, it's survival. I told them on Friday, so we are in survival mode, boys. We will either make it or not together, okay? And everyone's going to have to step it up a notch here as their six-year-old sniveling. Suck it up. All right, I need you here. And last night I put their frozen chicken enchiladas in front of him. And Jonathan's little cheeks are quivering. He says, this sure isn't like what mom would make us on a Saturday night. I said, you eat it and you like it. Um, No, it ain't. And so one thing that helps us do is realize how much we appreciate her and how much we need her. And this first four verses, we're going to have a story of illness and the inconvenience of illness. And we're going to have something that's always true, even in just sickness, even in a stomach virus and the flu and whatever else, all the way to uh, disease and all the way to tragic injury and all the way through what man under the sun will experience post-fall that God doesn't pleasure in, but he'll always purpose, even when we don't understand it. Lazarus of Bethany, brother of Mary and Martha, uh, Jesus loves them. The language of his relationship with them is, is only outdone maybe by the language of intimacy between he and the disciples, maybe only Peter and John. He loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. These are his best friends. And they go to him and say, Lord, the one you love is ill. That's enough. He knows that's Lazarus. And when he heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Listen, this is true of this story, true of Lazarus is not going to die. If you know the story, you're going to see. But it's also generally true for anyone in the new covenant, anyone that's a believer in Jesus Christ, anything we experience in way of illness, sickness, suffering, even death, is not final. It doesn't lead ultimately. It might lead to death, but not ultimately to death. On the other side of death for the believer is life. On the other side of illness and sickness and suffering and circumstantial difficulty is the glory of God and our good. Now, look, I'm preaching to myself. I've been, the last few days have just been a small little microcosm, and I always do well with this. I had to repent twice this morning before I come preach this, because I'm, I'm not always anticipating what's God doing here. How is he going to purpose this for our good? I did read Romans 5, 3 through 5 again this morning. Rejoice in suffering. I stink at that. I stink at it. Rejoice in suffering. Listen, suffering produces endurance. I'll give you that. Endurance produces character. It's true. Character produces hope. You know, you know one thing I just, uh, one thing Martin Luther King said that stuck with me this week. I didn't say this in first service. I just thought of this. He said his whole hope was that through the suffering of those being racially discriminated against, minority races especially, that out of a mountain of despair they would carve or they would hew a stone of hope. That's Romans 5.3. Out of illness, suffering, rejoice, it's going to produce endurance. Endurance will produce character. Character will produce hope. Your hope will not disappoint, Romans 3.5, because the Holy Spirit has been, God's love has been poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit who you've been given through Christ. Amen? All right, I'm not good at this, but we're meant to rejoice in suffering. Jesus said, this illness, whatever you got, it's not going to lead to ultimate termination. You go, I got a disease. They're giving me a It might lead to physical death. It could. It will for Lazarus. 
even then it doesn't lead to death. God will purpose it for his glory and you're good. You wait and see. All right, it's a tough one to swallow, but it's true. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so a reminder. He's about to do something that looks like he doesn't care. It looks like he's cow. So we're reminded he loves them. And when he heard Lazarus is ill, he stayed two days. He doesn't sprint to, fit, to heal him before anything worse, before his condition worsens. Man, does he not care? No, he cares. We just got reminded. He loves them. Then after he said this, he said to the disciples, we're going back to Judea. They say, what? They were just trying to stone us. We got out of there. We're about a day's journey from there. Why would we go back? And they're going to kill us, Jesus says. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Jesus is basically saying, look, we could die at any time. But I'm going to walk in the light of God's will and not worry about death. Can I tell you something, Harvest? You, you live according to God's word. You walk with the Lord. You pursue Christ. Don't worry about death. Death is not sovereign over you. God is. He has appointed the number of days you have. Don't live in fear of death. You're immortal until God calls you home. You believe that? Jesus said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to live my life in fear of what could happen if I do. No, I'm not driven by fear. I'm driven by love. Love for the Father in heaven. Love for those in need. I'll walk in the light of the day. They want to kill me? Have at it. They can't, they can't kill me before my appointed time. That's incredible faith. That's what Jesus said. Here's what will get you, though. If anyone walks in the night, that's walking hiding. That's living in fear. Then he'll stumble. Then you'll be in despair. That's not how the believer's meant to live because the light's not in him. After saying these things, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I love verse 11. Is this verse 11? Yes, I love verse 11. Look at this. This is what death is for a Christian. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. That's it. For the Christian, for the one that is alive in Christ, that's death. You fall asleep, and then you are awakened by the voice of Christ calling you by name. That's it. Death has no further power over you. And, of course, he's talking about Lazarus being dead. They don't understand it. If he's fallen asleep, he'll be fine. What are we worried about that? And so Jesus speaks plainly, and he says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, not, not, Jesus isn't glad about death. He's not glad his best friend just died. But for your sake, the disciples, you and I, I'm glad I wasn't there. In other words, he experienced pain, loss, and death. So that you may believe there's a greater good. There's our good. There's God's glory that he purposes suffering and death, even if it's even in its evil nature. He purposes it for his glory. And so Thomas, called Didymus or the twin, Saw there's no talking about it. He said to his disciples, all right, let's go too. We'll die with him. I don't know if y'all have any friends like that. Not a particularly positive guy. Not an idealist, I would say. You, you need a couple realists in your life to keep your feet on the ground. I've got some friends like that. I won't tell you their names, but one of them's, one of them's initials is Jamie. And um, you got to have a guy that says it's not all meant to be rose-colored. Some of this stuff stinks. 
what we're meant to do is trust Christ to bring us through it, use it for his glory, use it for our good. You need a Thomas there sometimes. All right, 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. So it was already a puzzling scenario. Why are we waiting two days? If you're gonna heal him, let's go heal him. If not, what's the point? Now it's an impossible scenario. Now he's dead. In Jewish custom, four days, two days was like maybe there could be some kind of resuscitation. Three days, hope is lost. Four days, it's just dead, dead, dead. Four days, no one would say anything less than he's gone and he can't be uh, resurrected. He's dead. Well, Bethany's near Jerusalem, two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she goes to meet him. Now, she and Mary are going to ask the same question to Jesus, and they're going to get a very different response. She goes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's true, in, in so much as if Christ had wanted to heal him, he certainly could have. And so she's puzzled. She doesn't understand what's going on. And Jesus gives her truth. Number one, your brother will rise again. Now, she doesn't know he means like right now. In fact, her response is, well, I know he'll rise at the resurrection on the last day. Jewish belief, according to Psalm 16, according to Isaiah 29, according to Daniel 12, 2 and following, that one day there's a resurrection day when the Messiah comes and he resurrects those who have uh, been given back to the dust and he brings them back, resurrects them to be judged and some to eternal joy and some to eternal shame. So they know there's a resurrection day where we're gathered to be judged before God. She goes, well, I know he's gonna be raised one day. I meant he could have been raised now. That's what she's saying. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. He who brings the dead to life. By the way, only God has prerogative over death. Jesus has just said in the previous chapter, I and the Father in one. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I can and I will do for him what I'll do for anyone who believes on me. The resurrection, listen to me, gang. If you've not read 1 Corinthians 15, it might be encouraging to you that one day for believers, you will put down this body of mortality and you'll be raised in immortality. Okay, you're gonna put down uh, this body, which from about mid-20s on is kind of aging and going downhill until you finally die. It will be uh, joyfully laid down at that point. When you die, this body susceptible to all the effects of sin that is, that is already feeling the effects of the curse, and if you're past your prime, so to say, which is earlier than you think it is, then what's happening is the curse is weighing on you. It's happening. It's taking the life from you. Your body is gonna be laid down. But here's what we know in Christ. Told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. When you breathe your last, your spirit goes to be with him. Paul tells the Corinthians, um, to be apart from the body, your body at death, is to, is to be alive with Christ. You're not alone. There's no time of just nothingness before your name is called. You breathe your last, he calls your name, you're with him in paradise. But that's not the end. Jesus experienced a physical, corporeal resurrection from the dead. They touched his body, he ate with them, they recognized him. There's a glorified body that one day, at the last trumpet, when Christ comes again, the dead in Christ will rise first. They will be gathered. They will be resurrected. Their spirit will be 
given a body, a glorified body, one no longer susceptible to sin, one no longer aging and decaying. Uh, that body you will have to know the saints and fellowship with the saints, to enjoy the pleasure of food and fellowship with Christ and his body for all of eternity. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. In me do you find your resurrected body. I am the Messiah. But listen to this. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Huge that he says, and the life. He's precipitating those I will raise one day from the dead to give a glorified body to enjoy me forever. You'll know them because I'm going to give them new life today in me through belief. That's what he's about to say. Those who believe on me will be reborn. They'll have new birth. They'll be regenerated. They'll be quickened to life. And those who are given life now will be given the resurrected body to enjoy me forever then. Those I'll raise then, I can raise them now. And you'll know you're going to get raised then if you've been raised now. And if you hadn't been raised now, you got no hope to be raised then. You understand? And so how do you, how do you know? What, what, what does that look like? Whoever believes in me by grace through faith. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yeah, should Christ tarry, we're inevitably going to experience the end of the curse and death, yet shall he live. You have faith in Christ, death is not the end. It's a transition moment to where you're laid down a body of sin and your spirit goes to be immediately with him in paradise where you await for a glorified body to be given to you. And everyone who lives, that means has spiritual life, the life of Christ in you now through belief. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never then die. You'll never ultimately experience death. Physical death, yes, but not eternal death. You've been given eternal life in Christ. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you're born again. It begins when you put your trust in Christ. Here's what happens. The life of Christ becomes your life. He is in you, conforming you into his very character, producing in you a fruit of his Holy Spirit that others can see and know and attest to you've been born again. The moment you receive the life of Christ, he has already conquered death. He ain't dying. You're alive in Christ now and forever. He'll give you your resurrected body. If he's made you new today, he'll raise you then. You've been given an assurance, a deposit who is a guarantee of that which he will do when Christ comes again. It's through belief. I would tell you that I think that Tony Fisher is going to receive a resurrected body one day to enjoy the Lord Jesus for all eternity. No amens, that's okay. I think it's true. I think Tony's going to get a resurrected body. By the way, I've seen pictures of Tony before he went bald, had this just luscious fro. I don't know. I don't know whether the resurrected body is going to be the luscious fro or the bald. I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing him. How do I think that Tony's getting resurrected? What do I base that on? Well, Tony has believed on Christ. How do I know that that's a sincere and saving belief on Christ? Because Tony is alive in Christ because Christ has taken up life in him. Now, how do I know that? 
He's alive to God and the things God. He loves God more than anything, and he loves God's people, and he loves God's word, and he groans under the weight of his own sin. He hates his sin. He repents of his sin. I see a man who has new life in Christ, and therefore he's guaranteed that when he dies, he will be resurrected in the very presence of Christ and given a body to enjoy him for all eternity. Because if you believe on Christ, though you die, yet shall you live. Everyone who is alive and believes in Christ shall never die. Amen? And and then he says this. This is massive. He says this. Do you believe that, Martha? That's Christ calling, all right? (laughs) Do you believe that? That That is the most important question of your eternity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? No life outside of him, no life apart from him. Only way to God is through him. The way, the truth, and the life. Alive in Christ or dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Enslaved to sin or enslaved to Christ. The resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Her answer is the answer of eternal life. It's the answer of a saint. It's the answer of a Christian. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I love it. He's standing before her, but he's coming. He's coming to save, seeking to save that which was lost. He'll ascend to the heavens. He'll come back in glory and judgment. He who has come is he who is coming. Yes, I believe it. Lord, you're not just Savior, you're Lord. And I believe that you who are the Son in your humanity of God and your divinity have the office of Christ the Messiah. And you're coming to save those who put their faith in you in view of their wickedness. Yes, I believe that. That's a Christian. That's one who has new life in Christ. And she says this, she proclaims Christ. She goes to get Mary. Mary comes running. It says twice Mary comes quickly. Quickly she gets up and goes. Quickly she rises and goes. She comes to Jesus. She asks the same question Martha asked. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's word for word. And you know what Jesus says to her? He just gave Martha a great little sermon. He gave Martha right theology. He gave Martha truth. You know what he does with her? He doesn't say anything. He stands there. He watches. She weeps. Those around her weep. He's moved in his spirit. That word is indignant. He's furious. He's angry at death. Not at Mary. He's about to raise Lazarus. It's not at Lazarus. It's immediate. At death, at the effects of death, the pain that it wreaks on our lives. His beloved going through the suffering of the curse. And then he weeps. Word there is tears. That's the word. Tears. Cries. Martha said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And he said, you listen here. He's going to live again. You be comforted. He's 
going to live. Mary comes and said, you had lived, you'd been here, he'd have lived, he wouldn't have died. He cries with her. I want you to understand that Jesus' ministry is one of truth and tears. Any of you guys, and I, I promise it's all of you, any of you that have ever experienced something you don't really like, you've been given something you don't really want to bear, you've been asked to go through a trial or tribulation or suffering or persecution or illness or tragedy, and you're going, I don't like this, I don't want this, I didn't ask for this. God, why? If you had been there that day, this wouldn't have happened. If you had shown up in this way, I wouldn't have to bear this. Every one of us asks that. Every one of us has been there. Most of us are there now. And there's a little bit, you're trying not to shake your fist at God. You know that's wrong, but you kind of want to. You're struggling with it. Why didn't God save you from this? Why didn't he spare you from this? Can't answer that question, but I can tell you this. Mary came running to him and said it. She just, Lord, Martha, and Mary, they said it to him. I want you to understand, twice she got up quickly and she brought her, what she was stewing on was why didn't God, why didn't Jesus show up? He could have saved him. And she brought her question right into his presence. Don't let your questions of why God is doing what he is doing, which we know is for his glory and our good, but we don't get it and we don't want it. Don't let your questions push you away from Jesus. Let them push you towards him. Fall at his feet. Declare your sadness and your sickness and your grief. Shout it out to him. He's going to meet you with two things every time. He's going to meet you with tears. He hates the effects of sin. He's angry about it. He's sad about it. And he's going to wash you in the truth of his word. He will draw you in, he will weep with you, he will wash you with truth, and he will love you all the way through it. We have a sympathetic Savior, an all-sufficient Savior. His ministry is perfect. It's exactly what you need in your time of trial. We as pastors try. Most of us are generally, we kind of lean one way or the other. We, some of us kind of lean towards truth. I come in and I'll give you all the right answers, everything the Bible says about that, and you know, that ought to get you through it, right? And that can come across kind of callous sometimes. Or you may have some friends or a pastor that just really grieves well, empathizes well, just, just can cry with you, and that's needed, but that's not enough. All right, the, the, the power of the gospel, it, it's not truth without tears, that wouldn't give you the love of the gospel. And it's not tears without truth, that wouldn't give you the power of the gospel. The ministry of Jesus is perfect. You go to him in your struggle. You wail. You make it known. You're going to get tears and you're going to get truth. We hope to under-shepherd somewhat like the good shepherd ultimately shepherds. And he weeps. The two shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus wept and rejoice always. And the Greek rejoice always is the shortest. You know what those two speak to? The two great mountains of New Testament theology. That the Lord Jesus went to the cross and endured it for you and I. 
and we escape death because of the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus Christ. He weeps, we rejoice always. And he wept and he said, where have you laid him? They said, see how he loved him. Could he have not, could he open, heal the eyes of the blind man, opened his eyes, could he have not kept the man from dying? Yeah, he could have. He could have spared your suffering too. Why didn't he? The glory of God. Then Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved again. This is going back to the word of indignant, angry, furious rage. By the way, not at Lazarus, not at the situation there. He's about to make this funeral into a party, but not at no expense. When he does what he's about to do, he knows it, it brings upon him his own death. The, 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 when we get into the passage next week, it'll say the, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders said he just rose the man from the dead. That's the story. Kill him now. He's going to have to trade his life for Lazarus's life. He's looking through Lazarus's funeral, which he's going to interrupt and turn into a celebration. He's looking through his to yours and to mine. And he's raging. It's, it's the snorting of a, whore, a stallion before battle. I've only seen that in movies, but it's intense. That's the word, that's Christ moved again. It's like a fighter stepping into the ring to take on death. And there's a cave and the stone lay against it and he says, take away the stone. He's raging right now. They said, Lord, by this time there's an odor He's been dead four days. Jesus just plows right through that and says, did I not tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? Jesus is not concerned about whether this is gonna result in victory or defeat. He's already been given all authority. These words, these next three verses are said with a whole lot of moxie. They take away the stone, he lifts his eyes as they lift the stone. And he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. I want these people to know what I already know is true. It borders on arrogance. It reminded me of a football game I saw this week. I, listen, a quarterback of LSU interviewed all week before, and I, I've never seen such confidence Every time they asked him about the game, he's like, no, 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 we, this is just, this is our destiny. This is what we're doing. You know, those guys are going to come in. We have a lot of respect for them, but they can't, they can't beat us. Like, they can't, like this, they're not going to come in our state and take this trophy. It's just, it's just not in the cards. It's not, it's not what's going to happen. And I'm like, wow. It's, it's like Joe Namath stuff right there. And, and then the game happens, and the guy does what he says he's going to do. And they after afterwards, you're going to go get measured for ring? He goes, no, I've already been measured, 10 and a half. Like, uh, Jesus already knows the way this story ends. Could have healed him before he died. He says, Father, I'm, I'm saying this out loud for those that don't understand what's happening here. I know you've already heard me. I know he's coming out. But I'll say this, that they might know what I know to be true, that I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. He's saying that you and I might have full assurance that those and only those who believe on Jesus and have new life in him will indeed escape death. That that'll be your story every bit as it's Lazarus' story. 
And so he says before them, Lazarus, come out. By the way, if he had just yelled, come out, one theologian said that every person that had ever died in history would have come forth at the authority of his command. So he had to specify, Lazarus and Lazarus only. Come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Can I tell you this? Some of you guys need a Lazarus moment today. Some of you guys are spiritually dead. How do I know that? Well, I just would assume that out of 2,000 folks that will be here to hear this sermon live this morning, there are some folks that are spiritually dead. There is only one way through death to life, and it's through a resurrection. And a resurrection only comes one way, by believing in him who is the resurrection. You be placed inside of him who has been raised from the dead, and now you're alive in Christ. Anything you're, any cross you're bearing right now, know that he knows. He doesn't rejoice in your suffering. He grieves in your suffering, but he's available. And the gospel says that he'll bring healing, he'll bring hope, he'll bring even a peace that passes understanding. He'll be with you. Trust in him. Whatever you got today won't lead ultimately in death. We'll all feel the sting of death, but then we'll find out that death has lost its sting when our name is called by the good shepherd who knows the name of his sheep and he awakens us to life. Why can he do it? Because he stared at death in the ring. And death says, you can't have him. I've taken Lazarus under. He says, remove the stone. Death says, no, you can't touch him unless I touch you. And he says, come out. Come on, Lazarus. I'll go right into the jaws. And he's crucified and he's dead and he's buried. And on the third day when Jesus triumphed over the grave, it put the story of Lazarus in new light. It showed us that Jesus is precisely who he said he is. And that anyone that believes in him, here's what death is. You will fall asleep in an instant. And he will come and he will awaken you. He gave his life so that you can have eternal life. Do you believe this? I do. Father, thank you that you made a way through death. It's, death itself is scary. It's somewhat unknowable. It's completely inevitable apart from your returning. And yet you made a way through death. You called your shot. You raised Lazarus as a demonstration of what you would ultimately do when you conquered the grave. And then you've given us an assurance. You've given us new life. You've given us an affection for you and your word and your people. You've given us the Holy Spirit changing our life. We are not meant to live in fear of death. We can walk in the light 12 hours in the day. I'll give him to God and I'll trust him. God, those of us who are suffering, whether it's a common cold or whether it's the tragedy of injury or anything in between, the trauma of past wounds, emotional hurt, physical hurt, 
grieving to the depths of despair, let us go quickly to your feet. Let us cry out, meet us, Lord, with tears and with truth. Remind us that in you we've been given life abundant, life eternal, and hold us up. We will trust that your grace will be sufficient for our needs and your power made perfect in our weakness. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.